Welcome to horror movie number 11 for 31 days of Halloween 2021. Today's movie is Nosferatu the Vampire, a symphony of terror directed by Werner Herzog from 1979. This is the remake of Nosferatu. I'm sort of winging it. I don't have anything written here, so we're just going to go for it, okay? Um, What's interesting is, even though it takes the title of Nosferatu appropriately with Werner Herzog, Werner Herzog being a German filmmaker, he's actually doing more of a remake of Dracula. Dracula is different from Nosferatu in a variety of ways. I am not an expert by any means, by any stretch of the imagination, so I may get a few things wrong, but I'm going to try my best. Basically, what, what goes down is Bram Stoker writes the novel Dracula, in 1921, F.W. Murnau, uh, at the height of German Expressionalism movement in Germany, the German Expressionalism movement is a movement where it's a really cool film movement, uh, silent film movement in early cinema uh, that involves exaggerated shadows and painted scenery and just really, really cool stuff. And they could not, they either couldn't secure the rights or they didn't try to secure the rights to Dracula. So what they did was they basically told the same story, but changed all the names around. Instead of Dracula, they used the name Nosferatu instead of using uh, the name Dracula. They used Count Orlock. Uh, Harker becomes Sutton or Hutton, I think. Hutton is the name. Uh, Harker in the, yeah, Hutton. I think it's Hutton because Harker, Jonathan Harker in the Dracula. And what happened was right before the premiere, during the premiere, sometime as the movie is about to drop, Bram Stoker's widow, because Bram Stoker has since passed, Bram Stoker's widow sues and gets the film barred or something and has most of the copies destroyed. Nosferatu essentially for a time, did not exist. It was a lost film. And then what happened was a print surfaced in the in a private collection. That's how these things work. They say that London After Midnight, another long lost film directed by Todd Browning, who directed Dracula in 1931, um, that, that London, I'm going to sneeze in two seconds. I feel it coming. So just warning you right now. So uh, London After Midnight may still appear at some point it's coming the sneeze is coming i promise you the sneeze is coming no now it's not coming wow talk about a false alarm so you never know when when something may or may not surface and so the print surfaces the film winds up in the public domain and we have not nosferatu as we knew it today so fast forward now the year is 1979 um werner herzog a independent filmmaking maverick who uh, truly an uh, iconoclast who just uh, a punk rock filmmaker too just like just an awesome incredible man um sets out to collaborate with his you know 
volatile, as the documentary says, his best fiend, his best fiend, that great documentary about Werner Herzog's working relationship with Klaus Kinski. This was one of seven films, six or seven films that did together, Nosferatu, The Vampire, or Nosferatu, Symphony of Terror, or something like that. And But it follows the story of Dracula, or it more closely follows the story of Dracula, and then it riffs, it veers off in its own crazy way, in a wonderful way, in only a way that Werner Herzog could allow his film to veer off. I have some notes here. We'll read from the notes. But it is, it's a, you know, I would say it's more art than it is commerce. It's not a commercial film at all. It is an art piece. It's a, it, And that's how it should be taken in. Uh, right off the bat, we notice that Lucy is played. Lucy, you know, you have Lucy and Mina, right? Lucy is is Jonathan Harker's uh, wife, fiance, whatever. And Mina is, or is it the other way around? No, Lucy, right, right. Lucy is is not. It, Mina is Jonathan Harker's wife. Sorry, I have it. They switch it in this film. Have I made you more confused? I made myself confused. In any case, Lucy's played by Isabel Ajani. I probably butchered that. And she could very easily be the French Shelley Long of this film, even though it's German because she's a French actress. You may recognize her from Possession, which she stars opposite of Sam Neill. Really bizarre, crazy movie. Elric Kane's favorite movie. Shout out to Elric. Check it out. She's beautiful, breathtaking in this film. And she plays Lucy. Um, you know, it's interesting. There, There's like an, not an emphasis, but, you know, Werner Herzog loves to like sort of include, you know, not indigenous, yeah, indigenous, you know, people to the region or whatever. I don't know if they were actually uh, Romanian gypsies. I don't know if gypsy is a pejorative these days, so I apologize if it is. I'm sure it is. Um, but it's an interesting, the word gypsy comes from the word Egyptian because it was believed that the Romanian, that Romanians or Ro Romas, I guess they're also known as, I think Roma's the, the proper way. I apologize. Roma's the proper way to say that. The Romas were, they believed that the Romas were, were descended of the Egyptians who built the pyramids, that kind of Egyptians. That's why they're called gypsies. Um, but it's just interesting to see them in, in this film, how they're sort of portrayed in this film. And I also noticed, you know, he stops off, Jonathan, there's this whole scene where he stops off at the inn before he continues on to the castle. And it's just interesting how inns back in the day, are, they're just really interesting places you know, it's like a communal living spot where you can get a bed, you got shelter, you have food. It's it's communal, as I said, for travelers. And it's such a it's such like a, a time honored pastime, time honored tradition. But you know, it, it's also a reminder that the concept of the Airbnb always existed throughout time. It was just called an inn. Um also, very Herzogian thing to do. Herzog gets distracted by the gorgeous country scenery and puts the story and everything on hold to capture various vistas, including a, a waterfall pathway that feels ominous and foreboding, despite the music suggesting otherwise. You know, we see Harker traveling to get to uh, Dracula's castle, and he travels through this, you know, there's all, the, it's like, get to the castle already, like, it's taking too long. I love the montage in Francis Ford Coppola's Bram Stoker's Dracula. It's really interesting. They project a map onto Keanu Reeves' face, even though Keanu Reeves 
one of the one of the more wooden performances of Keanu Reeves. I am impudent with fear. Um, what else can I say? Oh, and then you know they warn they warn obviously they warn him that Dracula is not a good dude that bad things happen ghosts and yada 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 it's a ghastly place they give him a book about vampires right and like Harker is still oblivious to all the obvious signs that that Dracula is clearly a vampire even though he has this book but you know you could chalk that up to the fact that the Dracula or the Nosferatu however you want to put it hypnotizes him. Um, Side story, I actually got to travel to the real Nosferatu castle. I was there where they actually filmed the original Nosferatu in Slovakia. Really, really, really cool place. Got a lot of video of it. It will never see the light of day, but really, really, really cool place. Um, also, in the original story of Dracula, and you know, you see it in Nosferatu, the stagecoach driver is supposed to be Orlok himself disguise you're supposed to be able to tell through the eyes and they don't even bother they herzog does not bother with that detail i thought that was like such an important staple uh when telling this story and i guess it, just, it goes flying out the window uh something that i love about herzog and you see it in what wadzak wadzak i'm butchering it his other collaboration with kinski um, Herzog incorporates economy into his visual composition. What does that mean? It means that as a director and maybe, I don't know if he's shooting some of this stuff, but just that, you know, he, there's not a lot of coverage. Everything is done in these very interesting sort of master shots. You wouldn't call them like oneers, where it's like a whole scene in one shot, which is like my favorite thing in the world. It's like candy. It's like cinema candy when that happens. But it's just that like, it's like everything, I don't know, it's more, it's an old school way of shooting, man. It's, it, that's how they used to shoot back in the day, like back, back in the day, you know, and you see that in Herzog's films. You see that a lot in this version of Der Nosferatu. Um, despite the title, I said that already. I said, despite the title being Nosferatu, the film is very, is very much faithful to many elements of Dracula. Uh, I, I also said that this is Herzog doing Corman's Poe films with Dracula using the Nosferatu moniker instead. So, you know, for those of you who are familiar with, with Roger Corman's Poe cycle, wonderful films, most of them starring Vincent Price. And the first one, The Haunting Palace, I believe, is not actually a Poe story. It's actually an H.P. Lovecraft story, but kind of marketed as a Poe story, interesting enough. I don't think Vincent Price is in that one. But this is like, this is like Herzog doing his own version of what Roger Corman was doing. I mean, he's using Dracula and you get that sort of gothic, you know, antiquity that that's so rich and wonderful in those Corman films. You're not watching the Corman films for the stories per se. You're watching it because it's just so beautiful to look at. It transforms you to that place, makes you feel a certain feeling inside. I, you know, when Kinski, when we, we see Kinski appear and Kinski was a volatile, nasty, misogynistic man who, you know, almost died on several of Herzog's sets. Um, but you can tell that when he's dressed up in this makeup, he completely loses all sense of himself. Like he's just, he really is transformed into the character. And supposedly, you know, Kinski who could have tantrums about just about anything was very cooperative with the makeup person on this film. He had to spend four hours doing the makeup. You know, he had to put on these fake latex ears all the time and the nails and the teeth. 
and just all the stuff, bald cap, and he was just very cooperative, which is not typical for someone like Kinski. There's a shot where Harker is just sitting in the dilapidated castle. That's the thing. This is an element that you don't see in the other versions. In this version, the castle is like, to anybody from the outside, it just looks like castle ruins. But like once you walk, when you travel into the castle or come to the castle, you're trans, you're like, it's like you're in this strange phantom world. And suddenly you are very much in a real castle, like Dracula's castle. And the thing that you notice in the behind Harker when he's writing in his journal or whatever, there are these bats in broad daylight in broken windows hanging upside down. It's just such a nice touch. It's such a, you could tell Herzog must have friggin' banged his head, banged his head against the wall trying to get those bats hanging the right kind of way. You know what I mean? So you have these random bats hanging up in the window side of the frame. It just must have taken a long time to set up. Um, you, I also noticed, and you don't see this a lot in vampire stories, and I think it's like really probably one of the best thing, best parts about this version, this film, whatever, this vampire story. Um, you really feel the pathos of Nosferatu, of the vampire, like vampire pathos. The, the sadness in being a vampire where existence is painful, not because of the need to feed for blood, but because the vampire can't die. He He can't... He has to, you know, he has this futile and mundane sort of existence that is immortality. And, you know, he says, you know, he if he can't die, then he wants love. And he feeds off of life to feel alive, even if it's fleeting. Uh, the, he's quoted in the, in the movie, he quote, there's a quote, he says, the absence of love is the most abject pain. And so, and so are his days just sort of being this sort of, really pathetic kind of creature, which I found far more interesting than the suave, charming vampire whose, you know, life's a grave and I dig it, you know, that kind of thing. I like the idea of like, it's like a cursed existence, you know, but not because like you got to kill people and drink their blood or whatever, because you're just like doomed, it's lonely and you sort of forget who you are. They really elaborate on this in Shadow the Vampire, which is the, about the making of Nosferatu. It's fiction, but it's wonderful. It's produced by Nicolas Cage. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Saturn Pictures produces it. The guy who did The Begotten. I forget his name, Elias something. A wonderful film starring Willem Dafoe as Max Schreck, who's playing a vampire and has John Malkovich plays F.W. Murnau. And Udu Kier is in it. And, you know, he talks about, like, losing, being alive for so long and just kind of forgetting who he was. Forgetting who he is. Forgetting what it's like to eat cheese and drink wine and this, that, and the other. And I just, I find that, I, I found that presence. They probably got that from this, from Herzog's version. You really feel it. Uh, the ultimate curse of a vampire in certain mythologies is immortality. You know, what good what good is immortality if you can't enjoy it the way you would want to? You have to sleep in a coffin and dirt and, you know, you're pale and disgusting and have fangs and you can't enjoy the sun. You know, you're, you're doomed to, to spend your existence at night. You know, um, it's not you watch everybody die around you. It's, I don't know. Um, this version makes me kind of wish that Nosferatu was as adapted as Frankenstein is, 
We have so many versions of Frankenstein and the Frankenstein story is one that it's timeless. It's, you know, a pure story that you can tell endlessly. You can tell it over and over and over and over again. And you, I never get sick of them. I love, I love all the variations. And I wish we got that more, not with Dracula, but with like this idea of Nosferatu, I think would, would be very, very interesting. Um, and you know, the thing about Nosferatu that many people don't realize, I'm going to do a full video about this in the future. Nosferatu is tied to anti-Semitism. There is a lot of anti-Semitism mythology within Nosferatu. Nosferatu is supposed to be a Jewish person who brings plague wherever he goes, just the way that they blamed the Jews for the plague in, you know, uh, the Middle Ages and the way that some, you know, um, w, some, you know, white supremacists, I'm just going to say it, whatever, I hope this doesn't get flagged. White supremacists blame COVID on the Jews. Yes, that is really true. And so there's like a lot, you know, the film really sort of morphs from being about Nosferatu. You can tell Herzog was really fixated on the, the plague aspects of this. You know, Nosferatu comes to Germany or what's supposed to be England, and he brings rats with him. As Renfield says, and Renfield's really great in this, they've got a great guy to play Renfield. He's the Lord of the Rats, you know, and that's the idea is that the Jews were the Lords of the Rats. That was the sort of thing. And I'm, man, I want to do a deep dive on that because it's a very fascinating. Again, I'm Jewish and I love Nosferatu. You know, even though it has these negative connotations, I still love Nosferatu. But make no mistake, there is some serious, you know, anti-Semitism. There's some anti-Semitic lore within Nosferatu and what Nosferatu is all about. Um, I wrote that this is typical Herzog. Close-ups of animals, in this case, bats, just like reptiles in Bad Lieutenant Port Authority in New Orleans. You know, he's got these close-ups of iguanas and alligators with Nicolas Cage. And in this film, you have bats. Could you imagine if Nicolas Cage, Stark as Nicolas Cage has worked with Werner Herzog, imagine Nicolas Cage playing Nosferatu in Werner Herzog's Nosferatu, like a remake of a remake. That would be interesting. Um... I will say this, the, the, any sort of sinister menace that they were building in this movie, um, just that, that you know, Kinski and Herzog are working so hard to breathe into the Count is lost to this sort of mechanical and fumbling nature of having the master move his own boxes of dirt. It just, you see him sort of putting them on carriages and lifting them out of the, the ship. It just... I, I was like, why do we need to see that? It just sort of, you really take away from the mystique of what this character is supposed to be like, you know, a, a string puller from behind the scenes, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, it just, it kind of bums me out. I, like, I kind of wish we didn't need that. You know, and I, I wrote, you know, overall though, Kinski as the Nosferatu is how I would kind of imagine a real vampire to be, a sulking pale, monstrous apparition-like appearance, you know, with the two fangs coming down and pointy fingers and pointy ears. Someone who could not shapeshift and could not hide amongst the living. Count Dracula's suave. He can, he can blend in, which is another thing, again, going back to the Jew thing about how Jews, we, us Jews, we can kind of blend in. It's, that's how, that's the difference between you know, um, Jew, Jewish people and black people. Black people cannot change the color of their skin. Jews can hide. And 
They do. And if you're Jewish, you know what I'm talking about. And if you're not, sit down and shut up and don't worry about it because you just don't understand. Um, <laughs> I really did not mean for this to go to there, but it just like, you know, I mean, it's connected, man. It's connected. I'm, I'm, I don't know. Um, we'll, we'll say, we'll focus on that in the other video. I'm not, I don't want to, I want to let, let's move on. Um, I mentioned that there's a lot of, a lot of focus on rats and him being Lord of the Rats and the plague they carry. And then, you know, the back end of this film, the rats just sort of take over. The plague gets out of the control. Everybody's dying. Uh, I, you know, and also Van Helsing is super useless. Usually Van Helsing is this force of good or this formidable force for Nosferatu or Dracula or whatever. And he is utterly useless. He's just a, uh, an old buffoon who really just sort of doesn't really do anything. And it's really kind of frustrating. There's no like hero of the story at the end of the day. Things just sort of happen to people. And then you get probably the most Herzogian scene of all at the end. You see these sort of mostly empty streets and you have sheep and pigs walking across this town square amongst randomly strewn furniture. And it's just the perfect expression of bedlam Everyone's singing around, ring around the posies. They're, they're, they're in circles like what you did uh, in plague times in the Middle Ages. You know, I wrote that, you know, it's beautiful chaos as rats fiddle about and people eat what might be their last supper. You see these people, they're sitting outside at these tables with these large banquet feasts and they make mention, we've all contracted the plague. We might as well enjoy ourselves while we can. And you really feel a sense of foreboding doom. And, you know, and then at the end, Lucy, you know, it's not Mina. It's not Mina is not really involved. Mina gets bitten and it's very, it's off screen. They don't really go into that whole thing about him slowly luring, luring her outside, you know, uh, seducing her a few times and then staking uh, Lucy. Instead, it's Mina and Mina, we don't even see what happens to Mina. So now Lucy is the Mina and she kind of lures, she, she lures Nosferatu, Count Dracula, played by Klaus Kinski, to her bedside. It's very similar to Nosferatu, right? The original Nosferatu. And, um, you know, allows herself to basically, she allows herself to be drinking from, and she dies, I guess. She just, she ends herself. And he's so interested in possessing her and her blood and her essence, that he doesn't notice that the sun is rising. When the sun rises... He falls down and, di and dies. And then Van Helsing, the one time he is useful, he's like, whoa, friggin', we got to end him once and for all. Like somehow knowing that that sunlight was not going to be, you know, he doesn't burn up. He doesn't vanish. Like in the original film, he goes, and you see him just sort of evaporate. And it's like a, do um, it's called uh, optical uh, fade out exposure, double exposure. Really cool early, early cinema magic trick. And, um, in this one, we see Van Helsing, very much like the the, the act, like the 1931 Todd Browning Dracula, where you, you don't even see Dracula get staked. He, it happens off screen in that one, too. It happens as well here. He stakes him off screen. He comes downstairs. Jonathan Harker, who has been getting very, very sick, he never recovers like he does in Dracula. Uh, Lucy, she puts a, a, you know, like this, like salt, I guess, around, a, he puts him in a circle of salt to kind of trap him or whatever. And he accuses Van Helsing of murdering uh, Count Dracula. And they get he gets arrested, except, you know, the guys that arrest him, he's like, I can't even arrest this guy. There's no jail. There's no guards. Everybody's dead. There's no 
town committees anymore. What's the point? And this other guy is like, no, just arrest him anyway. So they they take off, they take Van Helsing off, and um Harker gets freed from the salt ring, and we see that Harker is now becoming the new Nosferatu. And he says, I have much work to be done. He hops on his horse and and rides, rides off, and that's it. And it's just, it's a real interesting film. If you are a fan of Herzog, if you're a fan of vampires, if you're a fan of Kinski, I mean, this is absolutely a must-see, must-watch film. It is, as Elric Kane always puts the second Elric Kane reference, it is pure cinema. And uh, I like it a lot. So check it out. Uh, We'll see you tomorrow night, probably, for another episode. What movie will I watch? I don't know. We will find out.